0: You can ask Stephen Heather later um, to verify that I'm not lying to you, but we didn't um, communicate in any way how our series in Genesis would overlap with their own story. But if you've been with us here at Lakeside for the month of August, as we've been looking at the life of Abram and the way in which God has been working in his life to call him to a uh, move from his family and his kindred and to go to a new place. Uh, You'll have already heard so many overlapping themes of, yes, this is how God works. When he called Abram into a new venture, Abram was 75 years old. He was successful in life. He was settled in life, and God told him to go from his kindred, from his home, and all that he was familiar with. And in the flow of Genesis, what we looked at in the initial chapter, in chapter 12, was, in, in, in some sense, the call of Abram felt very much like the curse of Cain. That The only person up to that point who'd been told to get away from everyone he knew was Cain, and it was a punishment for his sin, because to leave everyone you knew was to leave your sense of security, your sense of identity, and so the punishment for Cain's sin in Genesis 4 was that he had to leave. And then we get to Genesis 12, and we don't know of anything wrong that's been done, but what Abram is asked to do is to go and leave. And that is something that we often wrestle with. God, are you punishing me or are you blessing me? Are you using me or what's going on here? And it it is this mystery, this thing we call walking by faith, and that when God called Abram to go, he didn't tell Abram where to go. He said, go to the land that I will show you. So we've been following Abram's life, and now we're getting to chapter 15 where things begin to settle. Abram has already been shown. Now this is what I'm calling you to and so just like he had to choose in the beginning whether or not he was open to going, now he has to consider the question, is he open to staying? Is he willing to stay now in the place that God has called him? Because there's been a variety of challenges, but we're gonna read Genesis chapter 15 together. And You're probably all there waiting for me. Okay, Genesis chapter 15. After these things This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid them each half over against the other but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve." And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cabmonites, and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And that's where we'll conclude our reading this morning. So here in this passage, in the journey of Abram's story, at first he didn't know where he was to go. When he got there, the Lord said, this is the place that I'm calling you to settle and to make home. And so he has to consider, just like he had been obedient in going there, will he be obedient in staying? And so much like the, what the Bible talks about in what God designs in marriage, that there is something that we leave permanently, and then there is something that we cleave to permanently. And both have just as much of an impact on us. There are certain things that we only learn when we're willing to leave, when we're willing to go, when we're willing to forsake everything that represented familiarity and security and notoriety. And when we say, when we're willing to leave all of that and get into an uncomfortable place, God teaches us things that he can only teach us in that environment. But just in the same way, if we never stay anywhere long enough, then there are a whole bunch of lessons that God would have for us that we can't learn right? There's just a certain amount of time that it takes to get to know a place, to know how to pronounce things. It's so obvious to know when someone moves here if, if they're not from here. They don't know how to pronounce Gent Road. It's like the first giveaway. They don't. What What is that? Um, I might have said it before, but I remember placing a, a carryout order at a local restaurant, and they said, is this the restaurant in Akron, Ohio? I was like, Akron, Ohio? <laughs> you outsource your calling service. Uh, who, who calls it that? So It takes time anywhere you are just to learn certain things about who people are and where they are. And all along the way, even if what you've just been doing is making mistakes, after a couple of years, with all of the accumulated mistakes, you are still so much better off than someone who is ignorant of all of those things. And those become very difficult to quantify but impossible to replace bits of information and insight and knowledge that you and I have that God intends to use and there are things that he intends to show us through perseverance, through steadfastness. That's why part of the fruit of the spirit is that we would be able to suffer long, that we would be able to be steadfast because there are some things that God can teach us only when we remain committed to something or someone over a long period of time if you have a pattern in personal relationships that you become really good friends with people and the moment you have a fight, you don't have a relationship anymore, well, yeah, you can have a lot of new relationships. But there is a type of experience that you can only have when you learn what it's like to forgive someone who's hurt you or to be forgiven by someone whom you've hurt. And then to still have a relationship and to experience how much deeper that relationship is We can only experience that if we experience what it's like to stay committed to someone after an offense has happened. And so Abram, here he is, he's he's just captured in, in chapter 14 to summarize. He's taken 318 trained men and he's fought to rescue his nephew and he's successfully done it. And now he's back, and it says a vision comes to him. And if we were to summarize the vision, we could actually borrow a phrase from the New Testament that basically what he has shown is that God desires for it to be on earth as it is in heaven. God comes to him and speaks to him, and in the words of Jesus, borrowing from him in the Lord's Prayer, he's saying to him that he wants it to be on earth as it is in heaven. Abram is asking him, God, what are you you doing And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your shield. Your reward is going to be very great. And he says, I I still don't have an heir. I still don't have a child. So how are you going to keep your promise when the conditions necessary for the promise aren't even present? I get that you're promising me something, but do you notice there's like a missing detail here? (laughs) You're promising me something about the future, something about my heir, but I don't have one. I'm now getting closer to 80 and I still don't have a child. So that we said all along there would be something, if we were honest, in Abram to say there's almost an insensitivity on the part of God in what he's saying. Because he is highlighting the very thing that Abram and Sarah would desire but do not have and he is saying to them, I promise you there's going to be blessing that you cannot see. It's not insensitive because God is the one who is able to make it happen. He's not just throwing out nice phrases. He is the sovereign God who's able to bring about what does not currently exist. But we shouldn't miss the fact what God is promising him is what only God can make happen. What God is promising to do for him is what only God could possibly do for him. In his own ability and life and everything that he's acquired, he still does not have an heir. So he, he can think of someone. He's a planner. He's prudent. And he says, I mean, here's someone who could be this if I needed. And God says to him, no, that, that's, not, that's not the heir. It will be a son that you have who will be your heir. And then he tells Abram to look up to the sky, to look up at the stars, And there'd be two things that Abram as he would just stare up in the sky would experience just like you and I. You can't count them. (laughs) And you didn't make them. They're there. And they shine. And they do exactly what they're supposed to do. And they're innumerable. And you and I had nothing to do with them ever coming into existence. And we need to be reminded of that sometimes. Sometimes the God who is speaking to us is not the God who's dependent upon us. He is the God who created everything that exists without us, without consulting us. He is over it all, and he's saying, look up to there. Do you see how there's all of those things that are there that you didn't make, that you didn't create? So when I'm telling you I'm going to make something, when I'm telling you and promising you I'm going to create something, and that what you see in the heavens, I desire to be on earth, that your descendants would be like this, that they would be of such that you could not count them, and that everyone would know forever it did not happen in your strength, in your wisdom, and in your insight, but only through the grace and the mercy, the initiative and the power of God himself that it would be a testimony to God that he would bring about in and through Abram and Sarah a blessing that they could not know. And then it says in verse five, in verse six, Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So this doesn't sound like the first time he believed in the Lord. I mean, he believed in him enough to go to a new place. He believed in him enough to Come back from Egypt, but there is something about this belief that is deeper and is unique, such that it it changes in some way that is mysterious to us the status of Abram before God. That what he's believing, what he's trusting in, is what God will do in the future. He can't see how this is going to happen, he doesn't know what God intends and how this might be, but Abram has faith in the promises. He believes that something in the future is going to happen just like God said it's gonna happen, and so he trusts him. And by trusting in him, it says that he's counted as righteous. Not by doing something is he counted as righteous, but by trusting completely in God, that though he doesn't understand how and he doesn't know when, just like he doesn't understand how God made the stars and he doesn't know when he made the star, just like all of that, but they're there, they're testimony every single night, he believes that God is going to keep this promise in the future, which is not just a, an intellectual assent, but it is a heart commitment that, God, you are really going to do this. You're really going to bring about what you've promised. And so then I'm going to move forward and I'm going to live my life now in the present banking on you keeping your promises in the future. I'm going to make decisions now and in the present in the confidence and in the faith and in the belief that you will keep the promises that you made in the future. And that's how he lives. And then the next thing we learn is they, he says, okay, but... How will I know this? He's he's looking for assurance in verse 8. How am I know that I'm going to present this? And God tells him to bring a bunch of animals together to make a sacrifice, to cut them in half, and to spread them out. And what's kind of foreign to us, maybe in our culture, is what is happening is a, a covenant in which God is going to show him by making a promise, just like we at times when we're thinking of doing something together and maybe the stakes are a little bit higher and so we say, well, we need a lawyer to write up something because if if you and I are going to start to bank on this and we're, we're about to change a lot of things in our life in order to do this, we need to have a certain level of agreement between each other. We need to know that we're serious in what we're doing. And so God says, if you want assurance, if you want a sense of certainty, bring before me animals sacrifice. And so Abram responds obediently. He does that. And then it says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on him. And then the Lord announces for us what should surprise us. We, all, we learn that God's time frame is not ours. He says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Now, wait a minute. What did you say? <laughs> know that for 400 years there's going to be a time of waiting before the, the full fulfillment of what is being promised transpires. And we would all look at them like, it's a good thing Abram was in a deep sleep. <laughs> what what? what, is that, is that a promise, is that, is that good news, how are we supposed to interpret that, miscommunications happen all the time, in just sort of a funny way this week, I was telling Levi on Thursday night, I was like, hey, you know what's happening tonight, and he's like, what, I'm like, the Cleveland Browns are playing the Chicago Bears, and he just got like, and his eyes are big anyway, but they got really big, and then I was like, wait a minute, he's just at the zoo, no, not real bears, and then he like, got all disappointed, like, oh, well, that makes it a lot less interesting. Which it does. But we have that all the time. That kind of, what do you mean by the word you're saying? And here, this is feeling like a promise. God's going to bring him assurance, but part of the assurance that he's bringing him is that it's going to take a much, much longer time than he thought. That God is doing something in and through us that there's a plan, there are things that are unfolding now, but he's working on a canvas that is much bigger than our individual lives could ever summarize he's doing something bigger something that started before we were here and something that will be going on long after we're gone he is and in our lives we get to participate in it we get to have a part he does invite us into this relationship but he makes clear to us that we're not the saviors of the world we're not the ones who are going to fix all of the problems. We get to be a part of what he's doing. But what he is doing includes so many people, so many years, so many different circumstances that no one of us, no matter how much we give and no matter how much we offer, could ever begin to think that you know, we're sort of the main deal. We're the ones who are doing this. No, he's saying he's working on a much, much bigger canvas. And so the prayer then, if you were to kind of look at this verse and think back to that Lord's Prayer is, okay, well then just give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> God, if you're doing something that is really spans this much time and involves this many people, and it is extraordinary, well, what do we need? Well, we need faithfulness just in the moment. We need this day our daily bread to respond to God in the ways that we can, with the responsibilities that we have. And, and sometimes we get frustrated by that because we don't realize how often God does extraordinary things to bring about what is otherwise just incredibly ordinary realities. But that's almost always how miracles work in the Bible. That something miraculous is done and supernatural is done, but to bring things back into a condition in which they would otherwise be by nature, so that more often than not, God's grace is intervening in this world to bring about something that would otherwise to us look so ordinary. And so for Abram and Sarah, it's this amazing miracle that now means they have to change diapers. Oh, wait a minute, God. I mean, we did this big thing for you, and we did all of this, and now, like, every day, this is what we do? We change diapers, we feed, we do... Yes. Well, how does this fit with all this stuff you're doing? It's exactly what I'm doing. You taking care of your child, you helping raise that child to adulthood is part of the plan. It's part of the purpose. There won't be generation after generation after generation of people if you don't take seriously your responsibility in this moment to do the most simple thing. So, God, I want to do big things for you. Yeah, do the small things. Let me take care of what it all means one day, but what I'm asking from you is faithfulness in the moment. And that was for all of you that were with us here at 9 o'clock as Stephen Heather gave more details about their experience in Mali and what healthcare looks like. And so much of what we aim to support them in is to bring about just a much better level of care so that more ladies who are pregnant would survive childbirth. But the goal, the desire is so that they would live, so that their children would live. But in that living then, there's all types of ordinary things that they have to do. And for all of our missionaries, once they transition to a new place, once they learn a new language and learn a new culture, it's then again faithfulness in the everyday ordinary things that God uses over a long period of time to accomplish his purpose and his will. And that's why for us, uh, we don't usually put the two together, but that we celebrate what God is doing in global missions on Labor Day weekend is very fitting. <laughs> because it is through the labor of our hands and through the work that we do that God is accomplishing his purpose in the world that if what you're doing is crunching numbers on an excel spreadsheet to make sure that funds given in one direction go to another direction and that people can make sure the money deposited is still there so that they do those things and you might look at that and say I was just staring at an excel spreadsheet all day long I don't re- that's not serving god well how do you think money gets transferred from one place to another? How do you think, where do we get the things to buy the medicine from or to do this or that? Or you think, I'm, I'm just changing diapers all day. I mean, I, that doesn't really feel significant. What's significant about that? It's, it's stinky, it's frustrating, it, ha- it continues to happen. Well, that is exactly what God is calling you to do, is to serve him in the work that you have before you every single day and to trust him to work all of that out so that he can multiply through our faithfulness on a regular basis, what would happen. Because very specifically, in Abram and Sarah's story, they're given this promise, and then it's another 20 years before they have an heir. And we're not trained to have that kind of patience anymore. We just aren't. I mean, think of your expectation. There used to be a, how long do you expect if you leave a voicemail for someone that they call you back? You You make a phone call, how quickly do you expect them to call you back? Then ask yourself, when you text someone, how quickly do you expect them to text you back? And it's a lot shorter. That probably within like an hour, you're thinking, I'm not going to hear back from that person. You know, like, if they didn't respond almost instantly, I'm probably not going to hear back from that person. And so our, so much of our just current society and culture is diminishing our level of patience. And God is still working on a much grander scale than any one of us can see in a moment. The snapshots do not tell the picture. And what we need are men and women who are willing to respond to God and at any moment to open our lives before him and to say, God, if you want to uproot me right now and do something different with my life, you have the freedom to do that. You're God. And then in times when he comes to us and says, okay, I uprooted you. And now this is where I want you to stay this is the land, this is the place, that we would be just as willing to say, okay, this is where I'll stay, because you're God. And not everything has to happen in my way, on my timetable, according to the desires or the specific requests that I would make. And all along, it requires just as much faith to do that as it does to obey him initially. And so that's the challenge before Abram and Sarah, is to consider that. But here's the amazing thing. So, what happens is Abram is in a deep sleep, and God makes this covenant. In other words, he makes a promise, and he makes it because Abram's asleep in a way that is unconditional. He doesn't say to Abram here, Well, if you do this and you do this, then I'll do this and I'll do that. He just knocks him out and says, I'm going to give you the assurance that what I said, I will do. And so he's not a a participant. This isn't a mutual agreement between them. This is the initiation of God to make an unconditional promise to bring about what he said he would do. And that's the message that we actually take when we talk to people about God, whether it's our neighbors or whether it's cross-culturally in global missions, that the God that we serve is a God who takes initiative, who has entered into our world, and who has made a promise to bring about everything that was necessary for his promises to come true. It's not, well, here, I want to tell you about this God, and he's a really hard God, and if if you do this, and you do this, and you do this, maybe then this God will accept you. Maybe this God will love you. If that was the job, it would be unsustainable to serve him you'd burn out in a second if what you felt like you had to do was go talk people into just trying a lot harder and doing a lot better and if they do that, then maybe God will ultimately receive them and accept them. Because if you know anything about yourself, even on your best day, you and I struggle to live up to even the standards we have for our own selves. Forget anybody else's standard for us. Our own standard that we have for ourselves, we struggle to live up to. We don't obey it completely and thoroughly. Other people see it better in us (laughs) oftentimes than we see it in ourselves. And so he's put completely down for the count. He's getting a good rest in while God is making a promise to do everything that is necessary to be done for the promise to come true. That is the God that we serve. And we see if you turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 6, how the author of the letter of Hebrews is trying to tell us that this is still how God is working in us. This is on page 1004 if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you. Verse 13 through verse 20. Hebrews chapter six. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so... The writer is looking back on this and saying God making an oath can swear by nothing greater than himself and so he made it in his own name and that's still what he's doing. By two unchangeable things he has made a confirmation to you and I that for all of us who run to him for refuge that all of us who look to him for salvation that he will provide everything that's necessary for that salvation to happen. It's a great promise. That's the good news that we get to tell people. In Genesis 15, these animals are torn apart, and so part of what's being said is, if I break the terms of this covenant, then let me be like they are. It was your way of saying, if I break the terms of this covenant, and I don't keep my promises, let my breaking of that covenant be punishable by death. In the New Testament, we have another period where darkness comes over everything, a deep kind of darkness. And it happens when Jesus is on the cross. And for Jesus on the cross, he's not being punished because he doesn't meet the terms of the covenant. But he receives the punishment of all those who've broken it. And the darkness comes upon over the earth. So that those who've broken the covenant can be restored. Darkness comes upon him in his moment of being on the cross, and he becomes like one of the guilty, so that you and I, who are the guilty, could be made whole, so that by grace our nature could be restored. By grace, we could be whole again. We could be human again. We could have the promise of life eternal. So that the verse we read earlier, that he's, Jesus said to Mary and Martha as they were grieving over Lazarus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. That's the message that we take to people. And so part of what we're then praying is hallowed be your name. As Jesus taught us to pray, we're pointing people to God, the one who makes the unconditional promise to us to provide everything that's necessary for salvation and that he's done it in the person of his son. And so we want to do all of the ordinary things that God calls us to do, all the everyday bits of faithfulness, but we want to do it in such a way that we point people to him and say, he's the one that you need to meet. He's the one that you need to know. And so we do our work and we do our task and we are willing to be uprooted. We do all of that so that his name would be hallowed among the people. In the words of John Piper, missions exist because worship does not. We go and tell people about Jesus so that they would come to know and worship this great God. We lift high his name so that they can stop trying to save themselves and find salvation in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for your steadfastness, your willingness to keep covenant with us, that when we give you all kinds of reasons to run or to flee or to move on to some other project, <laughs> you have this way of sticking with us, of staying committed to the plan that you formed before the foundations of the world to send your sons so that we who were lost and broken and hurting could find healing and wholeness in you and father we do pray that you would help us in in every way in our lives to see the part that we can play to do what we can do in all of the activities and responsibilities that you've entrusted to us And we also pray that you would rescue us from thinking that it all depends upon us (laughs) because there is more work to do than any of us can do, than even all of us together can do. And so we pray that you would rescue us from despair and that you would save us from pride and that you would just help us to be obedient to you and to do what we can in our own lives, in our own labor and in the support of the labor of others. We pray that your name would be hallowed because it's in your great name that we pray, amen.